Welcome to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast created to encourage and support parents of special needs children. I'm Tonya Wallum, and I'm glad you're with us today. In today's episode, you'll meet Felicia Aquilo, a mother of two boys who are born deaf. After much research, Felicia and her husband embarked on an amazing journey to bring their boys the gift of sound through cochlear implants. This is part one of my interview with Felicia, and I encourage you to make sure to listen to part two next week to hear the full story of how Felicia is actively involved in helping her sons communicate, how they're adjusting to their cochlear implants, and how music has become a part of their lives. Welcome back to the Water Prairie Chronicles, everyone. We appreciate you being with us today. And I have a special guest with us. This is Felicia Aquilo. Felicia, I found on Instagram. I'm following her and enjoying what she shares about her her family and some of her experiences. And we're going to talk about some of that in the interview today. But, um, but I'd like for Felicia, I'd like for you to introduce yourself to us. And then we can get more into a, a little more details about what I want to talk about, but I don't want to release all the information up front. Thank you, Tonya. Uh, my name is Felicia Aquillo. I am the mom of two young boys who both happen to be deaf. Um, they both have bilateral cochlear implants, so they have access to sound. It's been a roller coaster. So many crazy things happened in the past five years. My oldest is five. My youngest is almost two. So yeah, it's just been a very exciting, unexpected experience. So this is season two. We've started doing a different type of getting to know you. So those that are listening, if you didn't hear last week's episode, we're now doing two truths and a lie instead of our um, speed round of 10 questions. So I've asked Felicia to think of two things to share with us that are true and one that is not true. She's going to mix them up so you don't know which is which. And um, we'll be posting this on Instagram and on Twitter so that you can post your guesses of what you think the answer might be. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can post it in the comments below as well. And in about a week, we'll share with you what the answer is on Instagram so you can see if you were right or not. So Felicia, what are your two truths and a lie? Well, number one, I love cooking. And at one point in my life, I wished I could be on MasterChef or own a restaurant. <laughs> Uh, number two is I really enjoy um, training and preparing for running marathons, like 5Ks. And number three is I've known how to snow ski since I was two years old. So let's go back to the beginning, the beginning of when you first had your oldest child, Silas. When did you find out that he was deaf? So I found out that Silas was deaf rewind a little bit. Um, when he was born, it was a perfect pregnancy, completely typical, nothing out of the ordinary. I thought I was, was prepared for anything and everything that could possibly happen. And he you know, was born, I had this perfect new baby, and within 24 hours, we have the newborn hearing screening. So they took him back for that. I wasn't expecting anything. And he, they said that he had failed it, which I hate that that terminology because there's no pass or fail for a hearing screening. It's just what happened, you know? Um, they told me that he had failed the hearing screening, but not to worry because it was probably just fluid, the amniotic fluid, and it'll go away. So at that point, I really didn't uh, fully process. I had just had a baby. I was trying to <laughs> wrap my head around everything. And they, the next day, they took him back again for the same test and he, the same thing happened. It was the same um, results that he had the first time. So that's when they were like, we're going to refer you to an audiologist and see what happens. So that was just, just immediately then with that. Mm -hmm. And what was the diagnosis that they found out? 
So two months later, we went to the audiologist appointment. He had what's called an ABR. It's an audio brainstem response test. And at that point, okay. they told me that he was profoundly deaf. There was no response to any of the frequencies that they had tested. Um, and it was sensorineural, meaning that it was not going to improve at all. Okay. Okay. That's, that's tough because you're not, you're not ready for that. No. When, when you're first coming in. Did the doctor give you any contacts in your community or anything to help you kind of know what to do next? So after, when he was a newborn, right after uh, we got home from the hospital when he was born, there was really nothing except for the reference for the audiologist, I guess is the right word. Um, There was nothing other than that. So after we went to the audiologist, when she said, I'm sorry, your son is deaf, it was basically follow up with um, another audiologist. We're going to start the process for hearing aids. This is what's going to happen. So I was like, okay, well, wait a second. Let's take a step back. You just told me my son is deaf and now I have to leave and I am completely unprepared for what comes next. Right, right. So so at that young, do they do hearing aids right away? They will. So they'll uh, early intervention will start basically as soon as they get the hearing tests done and all the testing, like the prerequisites for the hearing aids. Silas was, he finally got his hearing aids at about seven months. And that's because I took forever to really process the information and come to terms with it. In the beginning, I didn't want to believe it. So I got opinion after opinion, um, trying to find different types of, you know, the solution. I, I didn't know anything about being deaf or deafness or childhood deafness or deaf culture or the deaf community. So it was trying to figure out a way to make this not my reality when in right. turn that wasn't what I needed to be doing at all. Was he able to keep them on or did he pull them off all the time? Oh, they were always off and they made the most awful noise and the feedback noise, the, the <laughs> screeching sound in your ears. Um, it was terrible and not one of my most favorite parts of the process because they yeah. did not give him Isaiah and Silas, their hearing loss is two separate um It's the same type of hearing loss, but two different degrees. So Silas's hearing loss did not give the hearing aids, did not give him any access to sound whatsoever because of his profound deafness. Um, So it was just kind of a, in order to go the CI route, if we were going to choose that, you have to do a trial period of hearing aids to make sure that they aren't working. So he's seven months old when he got the hearing aids. Did you know that that's what you were doing at that point, just doing the trial? We knew we were going to give him hearing aids. We did not know for sure that cochlear implant surgery was something that we wanted to do right away. Um, Originally, we had thought that we were going to wait until he was able to tell us that he wanted cochlear implants. It took a lot of talking to people in the deaf community. I sought out so many people in the social media space that were going through something similar. Um, some people that we went to an ASO class and I wanted to meet a couple of deaf people that could possibly give me some answers. Yep. I looked for people that were using cochlear implants, people that had kids that were using cochlear implants, and even people that did not agree with cochlear implants because I wanted to know everything I possibly Why? could know. Um, yeah. Because these doctors are coming at me saying, this is what you're going to do next. This is the process. This is how we're going to go at it. And I'm just like, 
can we, this is a, a huge thing. I'm, my kid is, he's a baby and you're talking about putting something in his head. I need to know everything. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I've never talked to anyone who had a child who had used the cochlear implants. I remember, um, Rush, Rush Limbaugh when he mm -hmm. first was losing his hearing and, and that was my first connection okay. with anyone. And so I didn't know if it was even children or only adults. Um, cause it's, it's just, it's not the world that I've been in. So I haven't had that access, but, um, but I'm just thinking through, you know, as, as I mean, even a seven month old, you're still digesting. You're still learning how to get feeding schedules together. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's hard enough between sleeping and feeding at that, at that point for your first child. And then yeah. to have to do all of this, did you get some good feedback from from these contacts between the ASL classes and the deaf community, were you able to find some people to help you? I did. I found a lot of good information, a lot of scary information, um, a lot of just differing opinions, people from all different walks of life kind of giving me their insight, what they believe. Um, he didn't actually get implanted until almost 18 months because it took me that long. Okay. I, I always say that I, I missed out on the first about six months of size life because I was so worried and, and overtaken by this diagnosis and I, that I didn't know anything about that. It really um, just caused me to miss out on a lot of like all the, the, the baby firsts of my first baby, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that. Um, however, looking at him today, he, he's not, missing anything because of that he was he was getting what what he needed but i i know what you mean though because you want to have yeah. those memories you want to ha have that focus to be different from what it had to be and and we were the same way we were asking people we were calling everyone we could think of just because we didn't know where to go we didn't know what to do <laughs> and right. we didn't want to make yeah. the wrong choice so um yes. you know trying to even figure this out and knowing that as a young child everything that you do now feeds into the future and you know, when or if you make the wrong choice, you know, not that there's always a right or wrong choice. It's just your choice is what's the right choice. But you don't know that whenever you're going through it. You're trying to figure out, you know, what is the right one for me even because I don't have enough information exactly. to know those choices. <laughs> so Silas was a little bit older whenever Isaiah was born. Um, did you know right away with Isaiah? Did you pick up on it or was it the same hearing test? So it was, he had the same hearing test. We had already had the audiology appointment scheduled because we knew that there was a possibility, a 25% chance of him having some degree of hearing loss as well. So we wanted to be on top of it, ready to go. Um, he did have the hearing test in the hospital and he only failed, I'm using quotes here, fa failed the hearing test um, in the right side. So the left side was better than the right side. Oh, and yeah, so we weren't really understood. We didn't really understand what was going on there. We thought maybe it was a fluke and it was fine because they did bring up the whole fluid thing again, not knowing that deafness right. runs in our family or with, you know, our babies. Um, so we kind of just went with it. We knew that we, when we left the hospital, we were already going to go, going to go to the audiologist. Right. And when we got to the audiologist about a month and a half later, um, it was Silas's audiologist. So we already had a relationship with her and it was a lot Good. better of an experience than the first time. She said that his hearing test looks a lot like size, but it's severe sloping profound. So a few of the um, deafness is a spectrum. So a few of the 
okay. frequencies that she tested were coming back that he was hearing just a little bit and it was different than what Silas's was. Okay. Okay. So did you, um, did you already know that if he, if he were going to be determined as deaf when he was born, that you would do the cochlear implants with him as well? Absolutely. By this time, Silas was three and a half, three, almost three and a half. And we had seen such wonderful results. And we knew, I knew wholeheartedly that I made the right decision at this point because of the way Silas loves his relationship with sound. He loves to hear music. He knows that he doesn't have to wear his processors whenever he doesn't want to. But I would say that a good 90% of the time he has them on and it's always because it's his choice. So okay. seeing all those first, like him, you know, the first time he was verbally able to say, I love you, or hear me say, I love him and ask for music and sing along to music. Just all of those first times and all those magical moments made everything yep. else just so worth it. I've seen some posts you've had on just in the last few months um, of the boys with, with music going. And I'm thinking the chaos in your house sometimes because the volume probably is not controlled as much. <laughs> no, they're, that's the one thing about deaf children is they are not quiet at all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with the cochlear implants. So humor me here because I'm totally ignorant on this. I see... Um, and pictures that you have of Isaiah, he's wearing a headband. Mm -hmm. So the implant is attached to, is it to the bone in the, like is it attached to the skull? How is it, how is the actual implant being used? So there is an internal piece that sits underneath the skin behind the ear. Um, they actually implant it behind the ear and the electrodes go down to the cochlea um, th that's what sends the sound signals to the cochlea to be processed in the brain as sound. It's magnetic. Okay. So the external piece sits on top of the internal piece, um, and it kind of just magnetizes and it, it sits there, um, just right okay. on top of it. So that's how it stays on there. So, so when he's wearing the headband, is that holding it? Yeah, that's just a retention method because if he rips them off or takes them off or they fall off, it helps me to find them or just helps to keep him on, especially when he's that little. Right. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking. Because I noticed that um, pictures that you're showing of Silas, he's not wearing the headband. No, he right now he has a sports necklace retention line, which basically is just a black uh, cord necklace he wears. And there's two little hooks that hold the batteries in there. So that way, if they do fall off, they're not going to just... They're both very active. <laughs> so I needed something to... <laughs> keep them in their spots because it's also very hectic having a lot of money run around on your children's heads. <laughs> yes. I've tried nearly every single retention method you could possibly figure out <laughs> to keep them on their heads. Do you have, and I, I've, I haven't looked through your Instagram enough to see, do you have like um, shopping links or anything on there? So if anyone's looking for that type of thing where they can see wh where you've gotten what you're using? Yeah, I have an Amazon storefront that has a cochlear implant accessory um, kind of list okay. on one spot. And I'm really good, too, about um, if somebody messaged me wanting a link, a lot of them are from Etsy or the cochlear store um, itself. I'm good about sending those over, too. So, Oh, good. Good. Yeah, so those that are listening, um, in the notes for this episode, we'll put her Instagram. But um, 
but you know, check check it out. I I would encourage you to to see what she's doing. She's really posting a lot of really good content. If nothing else, that resource alone will be enough to know where things that you've already tried and tested um, to know where where to start if you're if you're looking for something like this. We talked about wearing the the implant and kind of how that how that works with the magnetic part. Um, what was the process of adjusting to them and learning how to use them both for your kids and for you too? Because at this point you were learning, not them as much. Yeah. So I would say in the beginning um, with Silas and Isaiah, but although with Isaiah, I had already done it once. So I knew what to expect. Um, the process of keeping them on their heads um trying to figure out what the difference between them needing a listening break and it becoming a game because eventually if they know that you're reacting to them pulling them off of their heads they're going to keep doing it just to get your reaction and then on the other side of that the listening fatigue that comes along with constantly processing sound um is a lot it's over overstimulating especially for a a baby basically um, to have to learn how to do that. So juggling that, trying to figure out, you know, what's just the morning a reaction, what's actually listening fatigue, and then the care that goes along with it as far as like putting them in the dry kits at night, making sure their implant site isn't getting infected and rubbing the you know, vitamin E oil on it, um, making sure that they're hearing you. So doing the, the proper Ling six sounds every day, um, where it's like, I don't know if you want me to go through and do them, but um, there are six sounds that you practice with your kids every day to make sure they have access to all of the speech sounds. Um, oh. Just kind of all of the things that come along with it and then charging them, you know, replacing batteries, making sure you have batteries in stock, you're not going to run out, uh, making sure that every night they go on the charger, just that kind of thing. Um, it was a lot right. to get used to. And then when Isaiah was born and he had his implantation surgery, it doubled. <laughs> right, right. So where the where the the outer piece is attaching to the the internal part where the the magnet is, did you have any trouble with um, with hair loss in those areas? Yeah. So the magnetic spot. Um, where the, the magnet sits on their head. Silas has actually had a little bit of hair loss there. More so from, we used to use clips, hair clips, and um, he would rub his head and try to like, he wasn't trying, but they would pull his hair. So he would have big bald spots where the clips were. Right. The magnets, not right. so much themselves, but I do notice that it's easier to keep the magnets attached when that part of his head is shaved just a little bit shorter than everything else. You've mentioned a, a few little things there. Are there any other concerns or risks that are associated with the implants that, that you've had to think about? Well, like any technology, you have the risk of it failing or something going wrong with the internal piece. Um, technology is not forever, mm -hmm. and that's why I don't necessarily 100% rely on their technology for them to communicate. That's why we use ASL, lip reading, total communication approach. Um, but there are, so say the boys were to get a hearing or a, a ear infection, there is risk there that if it does not, the ear infection is not cleared up right away, it could possibly go to the implant site causing, you know, a worse infection or meningitis, they do have a higher risk of meningitis because of where the implant okay. sits at. Um, 
there is the risk of needing an explant because of infection. So say down the road, Silas gets hit in the head with a baseball, God forbid, and there is actually a cut there, um, that can cause an infection and they would have to actually take the implant out and re-implant somewhere else in a different okay. location. Um, so there, there is obviously risks as with anything. Um, very rarely, knock on wood, do they happen. But they, I have heard of cases where, you know, I don't want to speak for every cochlear implant mom or user because there are situations that bad things can happen. Right. Will there be, um, like, will they will they need to have any type of restrictions in sports and things? Or will they be no. be able to participate as much as they want? They will be able to participate as much as they want. Um, I believe the only thing that they aren't able to do is dive a certain amount of feet underwater. Like nothing okay. like in a pool would even be, but like way like deep sea right. diving. I'm not sure the, the right. exact um, number there. But as far as sports, you know, I would prefer they not play football. <laughs> um, I would definitely prefer that. I'm going to be putting Silas in some t-ball and some uh, golf lessons and uh, oh, good. some some drum lessons. But I, I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do because I've always told them, you know, you're capable of doing whatever you want to do. But right, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Join us next week for the rest of Felicia's story of how cochlear implants have opened options for her children and some of the decisions her family will need to make in the next few years about education and advocacy. You don't want to miss the valuable information she shares for parents facing a similar diagnosis as well as tips for anyone communicating with someone who is deaf. This podcast is made possible by support from our listeners. If you want to help offset the cost of producing the Water Prairie Chronicles, become a supporter at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast created to encourage and support parents of special needs children. If you found value in this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners. I'm glad you were able to join us today and hope to see you back next week for another episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles.